Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. I'm kicking off a new series today on community, and we're calling it The Hood. Because community is like a neighborhood. You've seen those words interchanged. You got a neighborhood, you got a community. Where I'm from, the mean streets of Arlington, Texas, we call it the hood. You know, but there was a guy who was pretty well known for making the neighborhood famous. This guy by the name of Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers. Back in 1968, he, he maybe change the game a little bit with a little jingle. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've heard this little song. And he'd walk in every week. It's a beautiful and day he'd sing it terribly. And my wife's been trying to get me to sing on stage for years. Ain't going to happen today. But he'd walk in and he'd change out of his coat. This is going to be tricky. Would you be mine? And he'd slip into a sweater. I'm not gonna slip into a sweater. I'm gonna slip into a flannel because it's the hood. And he'd slip into this thing. And then he'd kick off his shoes. And he'd say, I want to be a neighbor to you. I want you. This is trickier than I thought it was gonna be. (laughs) There we go. And he'd do this little number where he'd kick off his shoes and he'd toss them. But I've got a mic in my hand, so I'm just going to toss it. And he'd slide on his shoes and he'd say, I want to be a neighbor just like you. And since 1968 until about 2004, I think it was, he told kids that you're loved, that you matter, that you have purpose. He addressed issues that needed to be addressed in, in public society. And he spoke a message of hope. He spoke a message of love. And he built a neighborhood based on that. He decided with intentionality and purpose, this is what I want my neighborhood to be about. And so he built it. And he said, this is what I want. And the message that he preached, which you may not know about him, is he was actually an ordained minister who decided that the TV industry needed to have a message of hope going out of it. And so instead of becoming a traditional pastor, he said he became a pastor to media. And he was changing the game before anyone else was. And this message that he preached, it's still living. It's still going. This message that you matter, you have purpose, you belong, I mean, you hear it in this church all the time. You're welcome here. Come as you are. You don't have to believe to to belong with us. It's this message of acceptance and love and grace and forgiveness and kindness. It shaped the neighborhood. See, the understanding that we all have a neighborhood that we reside in. We all have 
a community that we live in. There's some, some place about us. There's a, an atmosphere around us that says, this is my neighborhood. This is what I'm about. And so we have to ask the question, what is my neighborhood like? Is my neighborhood desirable? Is it well built? Is it safe? I mean, those are the kind of questions you ask when you're looking at where you actually want to lay your head each night. But it's also the questions you ask when you're looking at the kind of community you want to share your life with. You begin to, to look around and say, are these people safe? Can I share my hopes, my dreams, my failures with them? Can I share with them what is really hard about my marriage? Do I want these people to influence my kids? Do I want them to be with me in life's ups and in my downs? Do I want to live in their neighborhood? And a lot of times as the church, we answer the question, who is your neighbor, when talking about people who are far from God, who maybe aren't yet followers of Jesus, who've never stepped into a church, we address the question of who is my neighbor. But the reality is, is you have to know what your neighborhood is like before you can invite somebody into it. In John chapter 1, in the message version, look about what it says of Jesus. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word was Jesus, and he became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood, and he began to build a new kind of neighborhood. He began to build it with intentionality and purpose because he knew he had a purpose, and he, so he came to live it out with intention. And he didn't just start going to the highways and byways from the beginning. He went and he gathered a few. And he said, if we're going to build a neighborhood that lasts, that is transformative, that's dynamic, that brings hope, that empowers, I've got to start with those who are going to live next door to me, that those who are going to build this thing with me so that when I go, they can replicate it. And that's exactly what he did. He started with those that were closest to him. And what he did is he said, I'm going to live and model my life in such a way that their lives get changed. And so the people around them who they're connected to, because each of us is connected to people. And so when you come into an, an environment, and like after you've been here on a Sunday and you go into to work on Monday, and God touched you today and you step into work on Monday, you're carrying with you what he did today. And people are experiencing it, whether you're aware about it or not. And so Jesus understood that if I can touch these guys, then what will happen is it will begin to touch everyone that they know, and this neighborhood will begin to grow because there needs to be a new neighborhood. There needs to be a new hood because this world is hurting and broken and dying, and people need help. And so he came with purpose, and he came with intentionality. And he came to build something. And what he's built has lasted. It has stood the test of time. It's why we're here. What he did became that thing that we now call the church. This investment in this small group of people ballooned and grew. And the neighborhood that he's been building is still under development. It's still growing, and there's more room. 
And so we need to understand what are the values, what are the characteristics of this neighborhood. In essence, maybe put another way, is how do I treat you? Because that's what people who maybe want to move into this neighborhood are going to look at first. How do I speak about you? You know, I think the church, this is Chris's commentary, I think the church has done a pretty good job of addressing who is our neighbor. We recognize that we need to, to love those who are, who are not a part of us yet. But the, maybe the area of growth that we have is how we speak about the church. When was the last time what we see on the news is if it's the church being bashed, it's usually by the church. No wonder people don't want to be a part of the church. Now, that's not the full story. There is good news. God is doing amazing things. But we got to quit being our own worst enemy. You're not my enemy. You're my neighbor. It starts with me and you. It starts how I talk about you. It starts how I think about you. It starts what I, with what I do for you. It starts with me listening to you and hearing the dreams of your heart and saying, I want to help make that happen. It's not going to ignore the places that need growth in you, but it's also not going to ridicule them. It's going to speak life to you and say, I believe so much in who you're made to be that I'm going to tell you what you're doing today is not going to get you there. So we got to get better, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to be in it with you. And I'm going to serve you along the way. That's what the Jesus neighborhood does. Jesus was sitting with his disciples one day. In John 13, he, he says something to them. It's a little surprising to me when you first read it. He's sitting around and he says, a new command I give you. That's when your ears perk up. As a, as a disciple of Jesus, someone who's learning from him, that's when your ears perk up. Okay, Jesus is about to give us a new instruction. Better write it down. Okay, John, get the quill. We need to make sure we take notes. And then he says, love one another. And you're like, Rrr. wait. He said a new command. Love one another. I'm like, wait a second, that doesn't sound too new to me. That sounds like what he's always been about. But then he clarifies. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone know, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That kicker, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What Jesus is saying, pay attention to how I'm living. Pay attention to what I'm doing. Pay attention to what I'm saying because I'm teaching you. I'm giving you handrails. Jesus doesn't just call us to something and not help us get there. He says, I want to tell you, love one another. And the way you do that, because love looks like something, is I want to tell you, do what I've been doing. Say what I've been saying. Learn how to think like I think. 
be like me. Okay, so when you're not sure what to do, the old hashtag, the old bracelet hashtag back in the day of what would Jesus do? Some of you don't know. The bracelet's coming back, but it was the hashtag before hashtags. It was a wearable hashtag. WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's what he said. If you're not sure how to love, think about what I did. One of Jesus' original disciples in writing a letter to future generations and, and new disciples, told them in, in 1 John 2, we know that we have come to know him if we'll keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Listen to verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must also live as Jesus did. What we are growing and continue to desire to be known for is people that lived like Jesus people that talked like Jesus, talked about one another to the, their faces, talked about one another behind their backs, that served like Jesus, that saw people what they could be like Jesus. We want to learn how to be like that, how to lean into him so much that we begin to learn who he is and how he thinks and how he operates so that the people that we, we encounter who experience what we're like begin to say, man, they, they must have been with Jesus. They must be like him. Because what I get from them is the same thing I get when I read the Bible, which is how Jesus lived. He made this thing come to life. You know, about a year ago, we had, so we adopted our youngest daughter a little over a year ago. And so it was in late April. Christy and I were in Cameroon, which is why we're cheering for France, because stay with me. Samuel Umtiti, who is one of the best in his position in the world at center back, was born in Cameroon. But now we play for France. So, go France. <laughs> so we were in Cameroon, and we're doing the final leg of completing this adoption and getting ready to, to bring Chanel home to live with us. And, and we're there, and we do the 24-hour flight back home. And the older boys are there waiting at the airport for us with my mom, and we have the big reunion, and it's fantastic and a little bit awkward because they don't know each other yet. And we get in the car to drive to the, the excellent restaurant of Panera Bread. And we're on the way there, and my mom says, hey, I just need to tell you one thing before we get to the house. Um, and it's that I went downstairs this morning, and your basement flooded. And we're like, oh, third time in four years. And I'm like, well, you know what? It's already flooded. 
I'm in the car. Nothing I can do about it. So let's just go eat. So we go eat and, you know, do the cleanup a few days later, rip out the sheetrock, rip out all the flooring. And in some basements, it doesn't affect people. We had one of those originally. It was just a concrete slab with storage. This one affected us deeply because our master bedroom was down there. Our kids' playroom was down there. The laundry room was down there. And so we're like, all right, we've obviously got to fix this. But I'm like, I'm not paying somebody to do it again. I've already done that twice. I'm going to do it myself. Well, my dad had two things growing up in his toolbox, a phone book and a checkbook. <laughs> so my skills are vast. <laughs> but I go on homedepot.com, and I buy what I think needs to be bought. And I decide I'm going to put in this new floor. And I open up all the package and quickly realize can't do it. Because I don't have what I need. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you don't have what you need? You know, Christy was at the grocery store the other day, and she forgot her wallet. Luckily, I have a 12-year-old son who's an entrepreneur and has two businesses, and he had cash on him. So he paid for the groceries. See, because she couldn't give the cashier what, she, what they needed because she didn't have it. I couldn't build because I was lacking the tools. See, Jesus understood that you can't give what you don't have. You can't build if you don't have the tools. And sometimes we forget that we can't give what we don't have. It sounds simple when I say it to you like that. Hey, you can't give what you don't have. Duh. But how many times do we try to do that in life? We try to give what we don't have in us. But Jesus understood this, this principle and this reality, and he knew I can only give what I have. So I've got to make sure I've got something to give. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus here is creating the neighborhood. He is making it clear what his neighborhood is about. In his neighborhood, the sick and hurting can come to him and find what they need. And so, what do you read? More sick and hurting come to him. Because the word spreads. In this neighborhood, when you're sick, you go to him and you get what you need. If you're hurting, he comes and, he, and he's kind and he heals and he helps. It's this demonstration of love that Jesus is giving. 
He's giving what he has. But, but listen to that last part again. Verse 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus had a rhythm of self-care. He had a rhythm of giving and giving and giving. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus gave and gave and gave. Jesus often went back to get refilled. See, if you are someone who gives and gives and gives, but you don't have a rhythm of getting refilled, you're like a car that doesn't change the oil and add new it to it. Okay? Yeah, you can have gas in, in the tank, and you can have tires on it. But eventually, if you don't change the oil and add new oil to the car, eventually it's going to start breaking down on the inside. That engine's going to fall apart. And it doesn't matter if there's gas in the tank. It doesn't matter if there's a drive to serve. If you don't have something on the inside, you're not going to have anything to give. Or what you do give is going to be a shadow of what it was meant to be. In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, Pete Scazzaro, I want to I tell you what he describes a shadow as. He says, your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions less than pure motives and thoughts that are while largely unconscious strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It is essentially the damaged and most hidden version of who you are. So we all have something that we're meant to give. But you've all, we're all supposed to have a place that we get refilled. Because we can't give what we don't have. So if we continually give what God's given us, but don't ever go back to the source and let him refill us, because why do we have these gifts to give? Why does God grace you and gift you with something? It's to show a demonstration of his love for people. That's why. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to do what only he could do to bring the gift that he had so that we could all be restored back to who God made us to be so that we could then bring what we have and give what we have to give so that more people could experience the love of God. The gift that you have to give, the way that you were created to build, the neighborhood that you're designing is meant to display the love of God. And you do it in the way that you serve. You do it in the way that you give. Let me give you an example. Say you have a gift of hospitality. The idea of being on the stage and, and being up front is not your, not your thing. You want to be behind the scenes. You don't necessarily want to lead the life group, but you want to host the life group. You don't, want to, you don't want to be on the stage at church. You want to set up church. You have this gift of hospitality, of making a space for people where they feel loved, welcomed, delighted in. And you give of that. And you give of that. If you don't have a rhythm of self-care where you go and get refilled, what will happen is you will probably keep giving of that thing. But it'll shift into the shadow mode. 
And the shadow mode is where the hidden version of yourself, the unhealthy version of yourself, the broken in need of Jesus version of yourself begins to come out and be displayed in your gift. And where you may be giving, but all of a sudden your giving is no longer a joy, it's developing resentment. You have a value for excellence. And you want things to be great. But if you continually give in ways and trying to make things great and excellent, but you don't have a rhythm of getting refilled, what will happen is that excellent value will turn into perfectionism. And perfectionism does not allow for mistakes in other people or in things. I have a value for hard work. But if I don't learn how to let God come and tend and meet my needs, my value will, for hard work will turn in I get value from hard work. Instead of I have a value for hard work, the harder I work, the more value I have. And so all of a sudden, instead of engaging with my family, I'm thinking about something else while I'm pretending to talk to them. True. She's my wife. See, the shadow mode is something we all have. But it's only exposed when we don't have a rhythm of self-care. We, don't, we can't give what we don't have. If we want to give love, we've got to learn how to get love. If we want to display Jesus, we've got to learn how to go be with Jesus. So how do you do that? How do you... First of all, recognize that you're in shadow mode. And then get out. How do you develop this rhythm where it's not just give, give, give. It's give and receive. See, the, this whole thing that Jesus had of withdrawing to a lonely place was his rhythm. He had learned how to develop this rhythm where he could go and he could give and he could pour out and God could then come and pour right back into him. And man, I would love to be a fly on the wall in all those conversations that he had with God in those often moments he went and got away and prayed. But I imagine that at one point, maybe this prayer came out. I just, I love this prayer. Because it's powerful, it's, it's revealing. If the shadow is the hidden version of you that needs to get exposed, listen to what Psalm 139 says. The Passion Translation puts it this way. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways. The path that brings me back to you. See, it's not as complicated as it sounds. It may not be complicated, but it is hard. Developing a new rhythm, developing a new pattern. See, it's taking time, consistently, daily, to pull away. You want to give people Jesus, then you've got to get with Jesus. 
You cannot give what you do not have. It's taking 20 minutes and saying, you know what, I'm going to go to my lonely place, which is essentially saying, I'm going to go to the place where distractions are removed, where I silence the outside voices, where I get away and I say, God, my sole purpose in being here is to be with you. I'm here to be with you. I want to develop this this new rhythm in my life. I want to create a new pattern. I said it's not complicated, but it's hard because developing new rhythms in our life takes something that most of us don't like, time and patience. New rhythms and new patterns are not developed overnight. They're developed over time. Over consistently saying, you know what? No, I got to have this because I believe that what God's put in me is important enough to give out. So I'm going to make sure that I I get what I need so that I can continue to give. Self-care is not selfish. Don't buy into that lie. Don't buy into the lie that self-care is selfish. Self-care is one of the most healthy, God-honoring things that you can do. Why? Because we see it in Jesus. Jesus often pulled away to go to a lonely place remove distractions, to get away from the noise, to get away from the crowd, to get away from everyone that needed something from him, to say, no, I need to get what I need because I know their need is great, but so is mine. I've got to get with the Father. If Jesus needed to get with God, so do we. If he, if he needed it to build the kind of community that was going to shape the world, then what do we need? We need it too. carving out that space saying I'm going to take 20 minutes for the next 20 days I'm going to take 20 minutes I'm going to tell my friends about it hey that's how you do it practically you want to you want to drill down a little deeper practically don't just make a decision today in your in your head to do this make a decision then tell somebody about it and say this is how you can ask me about it each day make sure I'm doing it I want to give an account for my ability that's what accountability means I want to give an account for the ability that God's given me. So would you help me make sure that I'm getting what I need so that I, that I can say to God, yes, I'm giving the fullness of what you've given me. Would you help me, friends? Would you help me, spouse? Would you help me? Would you help me get there? Because I know my life matters. See, the, the reason there's a lie behind self-care, that you taking care of yourself is not important, It's because that lie goes immediately after your value. It tells you that you're not valuable enough to be taken care of. Because what you have is not important enough to give. The truth of the matter is one of the most foundational scriptures that most of us have have heard before. Is John 3.16. It says, where God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die. So that anyone who believed in him would not have to die, but they'd have eternal life. What does that tell us? That you were so valuable to God. He was willing to give up his most precious thing. When you hear that verse, it should remind you of your value. It should remind you of your importance. It should remind you of your significance. You are so important that God gave everything so that you 
could be all that you were made to be. So don't shortchange yourself. Don't say this doesn't matter. Don't say I can skimp on it. I'm busy. I got to get to work. I got to get some more things done. Don't skimp on it. Say this is the most important thing I can do because what God has put in me is exactly what those I'm going to be around actually need. And if I don't get with him, I'm not going to have anything to give. This morning, let's let's make space to get with him again. Like J.D. said earlier, it just takes a moment for God to do something. It takes a moment for him to restore. It takes a moment for him to touch. It takes a moment for him to speak a word that sets you on a new course. It takes a moment for him to heal something that's been driving you insane, and all of a sudden, you're restored and you're made new. This morning, let's take a moment, and let's lean in. And let's say, God, would you give me what I need? I know there are people around me that need something. But right now I'm focusing on getting with you so that I can get what I need. So I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship. And we're going to sing. We're going to say, God, I'm asking that you would restore to me what's been lost. Would you give into me what I need? Would you invest in me what's going to yield fruit? God, would you heal what is broken within me? Would you speak the word that I need? God, would you pour out your love on me? Because I need you, and I can't do it without you.